Heavenly Father, Lord, we come and ask you that this morning we would see Jesus. Lord, that we would see him for who he is. And Lord, and that would make a difference to our lives. Lord, I pray for any here who do not yet follow Jesus Christ. Lord, I ask that you would um, open up their hearts. Lord, that you would show them who you are um, and why Jesus is worth following. Lord, and for those of us who do follow Jesus, I ask that you would encourage us this morning. Um, Lord, help us to love Jesus more. Help us to have changed lives so that we reflect him uh, to the people around about us. Lord, take away any distractions. Give me the words to, to say, I pray. Oh Lord, and be with us uh, as we study your word this morning. Amen. Well, when Ian invited me to, to come and speak, um, it was really on the, the back of having been doing the, the youth work for 18 months or so now. Um, and I just thought I'd start off by telling you what we've been looking at uh, for the last few months. Uh, we've been looking at Mark's Gospel, uh, the account of Jesus, um, or one of the accounts of Jesus and his life um, whilst he was on earth in the Bible. Uh, and we've been going through and looking, asking the question, well, who is Jesus? Now, for some of us, we've been brought up in church and we know the stories, we know some of the things that Jesus has done. Um, but to look maybe deeper, what is that? Rather than just Jesus did this, because we can list a, you know, a list of achievements that Jesus accomplished. He did this miracle. He healed that person. He fed those people. But what we really wanted to ask was, well, okay, that's just a list. It's like when you go for a job and you, know, you hand in a CV, and it's just a list of things that you've done. It doesn't really tell you who that person is. And we wanted to ask deeper, who is Jesus? What does it mean? So who does, what does it tell us about him that he fed 5,000 people? What does it tell us about him that he healed a paralytic man? And so we were looking into that. Who is Jesus? We found Jesus claimed to be God. He's the, a man who claimed to be God. And we found out that Jesus did not just things that are better than the average man but things that are just far beyond anything that any other man has ever accomplished. But as we got to the end of Mark's Gospel, we came to Jesus' death. Now that's something that Jesus got in common with, with every man. Every man or woman that's ever lived, they die. And it seems to be heading as you get to the end of Mark's Gospels, as we went through week by week, it just seems to be heading to a quite a disappointing conclusion because Jesus goes to the cross suffers a a humbling, shameful death and it just seems to be disappointment of course if you read then on actually it's not disappointment at all Jesus is raised from the dead and that's what I want us to look at this morning Jesus raised from the dead and what that means to us what does that tell us about Jesus And what does that mean to us in our lives today? But let's start. The passage we read earlier is about two of Jesus' disciples. um, After Jesus, two days after Jesus died, been crucified on the cross. And I want us to just think about the situation that they're in at that point. Because actually, they are 
in the, they, they've just suffered the biggest letdown of their life, the biggest disappointment that's ever happened to them. There are some big disappointments in life. Um, I don't know how many football fans are, there are here this morning. Um, not that many, given by... I, I usually look around for a smile at that point, and I only got one there, so... Uh, um, but... 1999, Manchester United won the Champions League. It's the biggest football to- uh, club football tournament in the world. But they won it in the last three minutes. They were 1-0 down with three minutes left. And for- they were playing Bayern Munich. They were 1-0 up with three minutes left and thinking, we are about to win the biggest tournament that we, that we played. And then in three minutes, they conceded two goals and lost. That has got to be one of the biggest disappointments that those players will ever go through. To be three minutes from winning and then to lose. Or, maybe if you're not a football fan, I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. Some of you have seen the films, read the book. Um, there's a moment in Lord of the Rings um, in the, uh, sort of the big last battle. They're going out to face Mordor, good versus evil, um, and they, they ride out and somebody comes out from, the, uh, from Mordor from the evil guys, and they fetch out, so they've got some things in their hands, and they show them to, uh, to the king and to, to the wizard, and they show them, and it's pieces of clothing from Frodo. They, the, the big hope is that Frodo will destroy the ring, and he's gone in to destroy it, and suddenly they fetch out this coat that Frodo's been wearing, this coat of armour, and they see that, and they just lose all hope. Oh, if they've got his coat, they must have him, which means we failed. It's over. And it's that level of disappointment, from massive hope to crushing disappointment, that the disciples have gone through. They've spent three years of their lives getting to know Jesus, spending time every day with Jesus. And they've seen him do these incredible things, these miracles. They've heard him tell amazing stories, parables, and teach things that nobody's ever really taught before. They've seen him go up against the establishment and not care that it seems to be putting his life in danger, but to care more about saying what he thinks is true and important. And they've dedicated their lives to it. That's what they've done for three years. That's what they've been all about. And then Jesus died. He was arrested, tried, and then sent to his death. Three years of your life apparently wasted. And more than that, somebody who you thought was going to change the world, gone. They were utterly convinced that Jesus was it. Now the Old Testament, the the history of their people said there is going to be somebody who comes who will change the world, who will make things right, who will put an end to all the evil, all the wrong stuff, will give justice and peace. And they thought that was Jesus. They were convinced it was. And that's why they spent three years following him. They were convinced. By the things he said, by the things he could do, this must be him. And now he's dead. And their situation is just 
Well, it's just hopeless now. What do you do? After you've spent all that time and effort, and it's just taken away in an instant. It's like building a tower of cards. Have you ever, ever done that? Sat there with a deck of cards and sort of piled them together and put two, two, and then put more on top. And it just takes one card to fall over. It just takes one person to just you know, slam a door in the house and suddenly the whole lot just goes. And all that time and effort is just wasted. Well, that's what it must have felt like for them. Everything is gone. All the meaning, all the hope, gone in in an instant, in a few hours on the cross. And the disciples, well, they're confused. They're sad. They've lost a friend. The very best friend. And they're scared. The Bible tells us that these guys, they were hiding out in an upstairs room. They locked the door. They were scared of the Jews, of what was going to happen to them now Jesus was gone. And the very, very last thing that they were expecting was for Jesus to rise from the dead. Now we need to get our heads around that because, because we live today, because we live after this, and because we know the story, we know, even if you're not a Christian this morning, you know that Jesus died, rose again. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what Christians say. But they didn't know that. I mean, Jesus had said it, but it just hadn't got into their heads at all. It hadn't registered. And so they just weren't expecting Jesus to come back. And that's where we find our two men this morning. The passage that uh, Hannah uh, and Emma Kate read to us about these two men walking uh, to a place called Emmaus from Jerusalem and they're talking about these things. They're talking about what's happened and they're, they're, well, what else would they talk about? That's all their life's been about for three years. And it's come crashing down. And they're talking about it. And then we're told that Jesus appears to them. But they didn't know who he was. He couldn't, they couldn't see that it was Jesus. And what do they tell to Jesus? What do they say? They say, oh, Jesus, we're, we're just gutted. We're just devastated. And Jesus plays a bit of a... sort of. A, he asked a cheeky question. Oh, what are you on about? What's, what, what are these things that have been going on? You know, he, he plays, plays dumb. And they go, how do you not get this? They, seriously, where, where have you been? Who is this random guy that's come up alongside us? Where, where have you been? Everybody in Jerusalem is talking about this. This guy has been the biggest celebrity in that part of the world for three years. It's like David Beckham, but, but more. Because there's nobody comparing to him. Nobody is doing it what he's doing. Nobody's been doing it. And then for this guy to die, well, it's, it's the news. It's the news. It's the sort of news that when something, you know, when uh, Princess Diana died, and you turned on your TV on that Sunday morning, and you're like, Channel 1, oh, Princess Diana's died. Oh, okay. Channel 2, oh, they're talking about it. 3, 4, 5. Every, it was on every channel, wasn't it? That is the status of what had gone on in Jerusalem. Everybody knew. Because there was no bigger news. There's, there's nothing else that compared, there's nothing else worth talking about. Jesus is dead. But then Jesus said, oh, well, what has been going on? And so they tell him. Jesus 
This man who has done great things. This man who is a prophet. So look in uh, verse 19, if you still got your Bibles open. Verse 19, this is how they describe him. About Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and the people, all the people. He's been sentenced to death. He's been crucified. Ah, but more than that, we'd hoped, look what they say, we'd hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Now, I'm not going to get into exactly everything that means, but basically we had hoped he was the promised one. The one who is going to come and make things right. We had hoped he was, well, he was everything that we were hoping for. We had hoped he was going to be the one who was going to get rid of the Romans. They were occupied by the Romans at that time. And it dominated people's thoughts. Oh, when are we going to be free? We are supposed to be God's nation. That's, we are supposed to be blessed. And this guy, ah, oh, we had we were sure we were so sure you know, whoever you are, Mr. Random Man on the Road we were so sure that Jesus was going to be the guy that sorted all this out and he's dead we were so sure I don't know if you've ever watched um, the Sports Personality of the Year or maybe other award shows the, the Brits or the Grammys uh, Oscars and sometimes when they announce who's going to win the prize, before they actually announce the name, they, they read off a list of things that the, uh, that person has done. You know, so if they're talking about sport, this person is a, is a world champion this year, uh, this person has gone undefeated, and they just go through a list of things that this, this person has achieved and accomplished. And if you imagine you're sat in the audience, you're, you're one of the people that could potentially be up for this prize. And you're ticking off, they're saying these things, world champion, yeah, I'm world champion, oh, still could be me, still could be me. Uh, oh, you know, has, has gone undefeated all year, yeah, I've gone undefeated all year. And as they go through this list of things, you're thinking, yes, it could be me. Yeah, it still could be me. They had another one, yes, it still could be me. And then they go, and this person, and then they say something which is just not true of you at all. If you're a bloke, they say, and she has been, and you think, hang on. Oh, that's not me. And that's what these guys had gone through. Jesus had ticked all the boxes for what they were expecting. Their expectations were, were so high, they seemed to, it seemed to be Jesus. It had to be. Nobody else had come close to fulfilling this role, this promised king, this promised prophet. This guy was going to make things right. And Jesus was just ticking the boxes. yes. It is him. Yes, it is him. He heals people. It's him. He feeds people. It's him. He cares about people. It's him. He's going up against the Romans and the authorities. It's him. He's died. It can't be him. It's not him. And that's the experience they've gone through. For three years, everything that they've seen about Jesus has gone. It's him. This is it. This is, this is it. This is the best thing. He's here. And things are just going to get better from here on out. And then suddenly in one fell swoop. That can't be it. Jesus can't be it. 
And that's what they tell, to, ironically, to Jesus on the road. And surely what, what we expect at this point in the story is for Jesus to go, Guys, it's me. I'm alive. Guys, do you not remember? Come on, I'm here. Look, I'm alive. It is me. This is it. We are here. I am alive. That is what I'm here to do. That is who I am. And why doesn't he do it? Surely that's the simplest thing. And then they're not going to be disappointed. They're going to be so happy. All their hope is just reignited. Yes. Except for, we're told that Jesus hid himself from them. They couldn't see that it was Jesus. They didn't recognise him. And we've got to ask why. Why doesn't Jesus let them see him? They're so gutted. They're so disappointed. Why not? Why does Jesus not say, here I am? It's me. It's Jesus. Well, I think for two reasons. Firstly, he's got something to teach them about the nature of of the Bible, of the the Holy Scriptures. Of all the things that they've learned. And then secondly, he's got to teach them about who he really is. Now they've got some of it, but not all of it. And so if you just read, let me just read again from the, uh, from the passage. So when Jesus uh, begins to talk to them, he said to them, verse 25, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. So two things that Jesus teaches his disciples, these two disciples as they walk to this place called Emmaus, two things that he needs to teach them before he shows them that he's alive. So the first one is is the nature of the Bible. He says, guys, all the Bible, all the Old Testament, it says scriptures here, it's talking about the Old Testament, the, the older bit of the Bible. It's all about Jesus. It's all about me, is what he says. And, and on one level, that's, that's pretty confusing, because you don't read the word Jesus in any of the Old Testament. You can go through and think, no, nope, Jesus is not on that page. That story's not about Jesus. He's, he's not there. But it's all about Jesus. See what he said? How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explains to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, these disciples didn't have the New Testament, the new bit, the bits with the word Jesus in. They didn't have that. But he says, he shows them, he teaches them what it says in all the scriptures about himself, about Jesus you see the Bible is one big book now it's made up of 66 smaller books but it's one big book with one story and it can seem to be lots of different little stories and in a way it is but it's all about one thing it's all about Jesus it's all about God's plan to rescue his people through 
Jesus. And so we can go right back to the beginnings of our Bible. Go back to Genesis. And who turns up? It's Jesus. When God um, and Adam and Eve have sinned, and God curses Adam and curses Eve, whilst he curses them, he says to Eve about her offspring and the, the serpent, the devil's offspring, he talks about one who will come, who will crush the serpent's head. One who will defeat the power of the serpent, the liar, the deceiver, the devil. He's talking about Jesus. Right from the start, it's talking about Jesus. And it goes on and through. And there are all these laws and ceremonial laws about getting clean, getting right before God. And they point us to Jesus. Because he is the one who ultimately gets people right before God. There are even books in the Bible where it doesn't even talk about there's uh, Esther. The book of Esther is a story about uh, a girl who becomes a queen, who defends her people. And God's not even mentioned in that whole story. How can that be about Jesus? Well, it tells us about the importance, the way that God works to make sure that Jesus can, get, can come. Because Jesus was coming through the Jewish people. And that story is about how somebody tried to wipe them out. And we just see the importance of Jesus coming through. Jesus says to his disciples, as they're walking on the road, he says, let me tell you how all these scriptures are about me. And you can just imagine him walking them through. Let's start in Genesis. Here's where I am. Go to Exodus, second book. This is about me. And so on and so forth. Walks them through. And he says to them, how slow you are to believe what has been told, what has been prophesied about me. And he says, all that has been prophesied. See, they'd got some of it. They'd got some of it. They'd got that there was going to be a new king. A king that was going to come from David's line. So King David, greatest king of the Old Testament. The guy that everybody looked up to. This, he was a, we're told he was a man after God's own heart. He was a great king. But God promised to him that there would be somebody from his line who would be a greater king whose kingdom would never end and they'd seen that in Jesus they oh yeah Jesus oh he's going to be a great king who's going to go up against the Romans and so they'd seen bits of it and they'd got bits and they'd seen that Jesus was going to be the ruler the king the great one but there were bits that they just missed out or not understood and therefore just gone, well, if we don't understand it, we'll, we'll just forget about that for the moment. We'll just put that little bit over here. Not, not worry too much about that. We could be like that, I think. There are bits in the Bible we don't get. We, there are bits that we don't understand what they're talking about. Or we do understand and we just we don't want to know because it's quite difficult. But Jesus sat his disciples down and said, let me show you that this is all about me. So that's the first bit. The second bit he shows him is the necessity of his death. So we talked about how crushed they were that Jesus had died. They weren't expecting that. That didn't make any sense to them. That didn't seem to fit with their view of this promised king. But he says to them, did not the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, he's talking about himself, did not the person that you were expecting, 
The person that you thought that I was, did he, did he not have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And in a way, this is a related point. They hadn't understood that Jesus was going to suffer. They didn't expect it. How could somebody who was going to be the greatest king, how was somebody who was going to be the very best that this world had ever experienced, how could he suffer? Great people don't. Great people don't suffer. Great sports teams don't lose. You don't see that side. We think of greatness and we think they're they're untouchable. They don't lose. They never seem to be weak. They are strong and mighty and they win. And Jesus says, did you not get it? That's the wrong view. Yes, great people do win in the end, but it's not all about looking amazing. It's not all about looking powerful and strong. Actually, Jesus had to suffer. That's what he tells them. And we can read it in uh, Isaiah, the Old Testament, a prophecy about the suffering servant. Now the Jews had put that down, they'd read that and gone, oh, that can't be talking about the same servant that's going to come and, and save us. It can't be the same servant that's going to come and rule. So they'd gone, well, uh, I know it's talking about the servant. That must be a different servant. That, that, must be, that must be all about somebody else. That's what they do. That's what the Jewish people, because greatness, you can't suffer in greatness. And then Jesus shows them, oh, no, no, I had to suffer. If I was going to come and do what needed to be done, if I was going to come and save people from their sins, I had to suffer. I had to stand in their place. And in that moment, he teaches them about God. This, this, this is what God's like. This is what I'm like. I'm prepared to suffer for you. That's what greatness is. And he says, this view of me that you built up, who you thought I was, you've got it partially right, but you've missed out a big part over here. Yes, I'm going to be the king. Yes, I'm going to rule. Yes, I'm going to have victory over all evil and all the works of the devil. But I'm going to do it by suffering. I'm going to do it by going to the cross. And they hadn't got that. They'd missed that out. And I think we need to recognise both of these things this morning. We have to see that suffering is essential for Christ's work. For Jesus to accomplish what he came to accomplish. For victory over death. For Jesus to rule. For us to be saved. He had to suffer. We can't ignore that. Some people will tell you that, yeah, Jesus, the Bible's all true about Jesus. But just before he died, somebody came in and took his place. And it was just a man that suffered. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. Jesus had to suffer. Somebody had to take the punishment for us. It had to be somebody who wasn't worthy of punishment themselves. 
Jesus had to suffer in our place if we are to go free. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what he had to explain to these disciples. They didn't want to see Jesus suffer. They would have much rather it if Jesus had just come and just said, it's done, it's won. You can all go free. And that the cross had never happened. But Jesus says, it had to. We've got to get the complete view of Jesus. Sometimes we can fall into the trap of creating a Jesus for ourselves that, that suits us. I like that bit of Jesus. I like the bit of Jesus where it says, he is my friend. That's what the Bible says. It says, Jesus is our friend. He says that to the disciples. <coughs> but we also need to get Jesus as our Lord. Jesus is there to be worshipped as the greatest, as God. And we can't have one without the other. Jesus is there to be God. He is God. He's there as Saviour, but he's there to suffer. He's there as our mediator between us and God. We have to have that mediator because we are so sinful. Because we are rebellious, because we've acted so disgracefully against God. The fact is that Jesus is painted in so many different ways in the Bible. There are so many different sides to it. And we've got to be very careful that we don't just, just treat him as one thing. We've got to get the full picture of Jesus. Because he is so many things. That's how great he is. He is a friend. He is a brother. But he is a king. He is a lord. Our lord. And we've got to be careful as we read our Bibles that we don't go, I like this bit. I like these New Testament bits. I like the Gospels, these stories about Jesus. I like these bits of how to live a, a good life. But I don't like those bits in the Old Testament where it talks about God striking nations down, destroying cities. You can't take a bit of God and make him to be the God that you're going to serve. I like this God. I like Jesus, but I don't like the God of the Old Testament. It doesn't work. Jesus describes to the disciples how the whole Bible is talking about him. It's one God who does not change. If we take bits of the Bible and say they're not worth thinking about, or that doesn't really apply anymore. Or I'm not going to read that bit of the Bible. Then we're in danger of, well really we're just rejecting part of God. We're saying I don't like that bit of you so I'm, I'm not going to worship that bit of you. I'm going to reject that bit of you. Except for we probably don't put it in those terms. We just go, uh, I just won't read that particular bit. And we just move on. But that's rejecting God. That's rejecting part of who God is. And we're called to worship God in his fullness. All of him. All of who he is. And we can't just go about rejecting little bits of him. That's what the disciples have done. They'd not seen it. They'd not seen all of who Jesus was supposed to be. They'd really just focused on the bits that they liked. The bits that suited them. After Jesus has described this to them, after he's opened up the scriptures to them, 
they get to the place where they're going. They get to Emmaus. They go in and, and Jesus like, just makes as though he's going to carry on walking a bit further, go somewhere else. And they say, oh no, come on, come in. Come and have some food with us. And as he comes in to have food with them, um, it's told that he breaks the bread and then they recognise him. After he's taught them these things, then they see him. And then he's gone. You see, he does reveal himself to them. But only after he's taught them these important things. And it's important that they get them beforehand. And what I love in this passage is, is their response. Once they realise that it's Jesus, once they realise that Jesus is alive, what do they do? Well, they've arrived for the night. They're probably, you know, probably at their own house. That's what their people reckon. But there they go, it's Jesus. Jesus is alive. Oh man, we've got to tell people. We've got to go. We... And so instead of sitting down for the night and you know, eating, and they go mid-meal, they get up, and then they go another seven miles back to Jerusalem. And seven miles, it's, uh, it's not massive, but it's a fair chunk once you've walked it once in a day and stopped and sat down. And... But they see it's so important to tell people. They see Jesus is alive. And people have got to know. The other disciples, we've got to tell them. We've got to tell people that Jesus is alive. We've got to tell people that because Jesus is alive, what well, Jesus is the person that the Old Testament talks about. And they knew a bit more now than they did before. They knew that just because Jesus had died didn't mean that he wasn't that person. In fact, it meant exactly that he was that person because he had to die, he had to suffer. And so they get up and they leg it back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples. That has got to be the response if we know that Jesus is alive. If we are convinced that Jesus is who he said he was and that he died so that people could be set free and that we know that Jesus is alive, we know that he was raised from the dead, that's the response. It's not carry on having your meal, have a good night's rest, and when, when it's more convenient, go and tell a couple of people. It's, there is nothing more important than telling people about Jesus. There is nothing more important right now for me to do than to tell people that Jesus is alive and that he is who he said he is. I just love it. They just get up and go. And that's what, that should be our response. If we know that Jesus is alive, get up and go. Go tell people. Because nothing's more important. Food, the night's sleep, the fact that you're knackered because you've walked all day. So what? It's just not as important as telling people that Jesus is alive. Because the fact that Jesus is alive means that he is who he said he was. And he did come to save people from their sin to get people right with God we've gone from the disciples being completely gutted completely destroyed completely hopeless and after this we're told verse 52 of the same chapter the disciples when they've seen Jesus alive 
they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. From hopeless devastation to joy in a day. What was the difference? They'd seen Jesus. They knew he was alive. See, that's the difference that the resurrection makes. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is hopeless. Paul describes it as if the resurrection didn't happen, we're fools. We don't know if Jesus came, if we accomplished what he came to do. We don't know if we can be made right with God. But with the resurrection, if we know Jesus is alive, wow, there is joy. Because we know that we're forgiven. We know that we are like so blessed to have met Jesus. We know that he's done it. He's completed the work. And so in this chapter you go from hopelessness, like just complete lack of hope and joy, just devastation to joy and hope because they met the risen Jesus. Because they knew he was alive. And that is the key for us as Christians today. The the resurrection, we've got to look at it. Because if it happened, then it makes a massive difference. It's the difference between the world and believers. People who don't believe in Jesus, what hope do they have? Hope that they'll one day be good enough? Hope that their good deeds will outweigh their bad deeds? Hope that if there is a God, that he'll be in a good mood on the day that they die? And he'll let them into a, a heaven where he lets people in who do bad stuff? Hope that they can make the best of their lives and that there's nothing after that's their hope. The hope of people who trust in Jesus. Well, the Bible describes it as a, a sure, a certain hope. How do we know that our hope is so certain? Well, our hope is that we, the Bible talks about, will be resurrected after life, after, sorry, after we've died, that there is another life. How do we know that we will go to be with God. How do we know that we will go to a perfect place? Because Jesus went first. Because Jesus died and came back. Because Jesus was resurrected. That's why our hope is certain. He went first and we're following after. But he's already done it. We know he's already gone there and we are being carried with him through death into proper life. From hopeless situation to hope, a certain hope of better things. That's the key of the resurrection. That's what these two men experienced on the road. And that could be our hope this morning if we're trusting in Jesus. He is who he said he was. And we know that because he was resurrected. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that Jesus did rise from the dead. Lord, that his work was completed. That our hope is certain. That our salvation is secure. Lord, we are saved from our sins if we trust in Jesus. 
Lord, encourage us with that. Lord, give us a desire to share the good news that Jesus is alive. Lord, and I pray for any of those here who do not believe in you. Lord, convince them that you are alive. Lord, you and you alone can do that work. Lord, that they may come to have that certain hope. That's our prayer this morning. We ask that you would uh, hear it and answer it, Lord, uh, for your glory. (coughs)